and I think will be very instrumental in helping us think about who our neighbours are. Music, my boxing music when I go into battle is not, or when I come up to preach, that's not my music that I have. I'd have Rocky, I think, if that was the case. But um, who, who watched Neighbours growing up? Put your hands up. This is a confession time, just to say this is confession time. Who watched Neighbours growing up? I, I apologise to our Americans and our French counterparts here. There's this thing between Brits and Aussie soaps for the last 30 years that has been going on. We love them. And so Neighbours was actually had its last episode just a few weeks ago. Who's devastated by that? Chris, happy man, aren't you? Happy man. Well, did you know that at one point, there was about 17 million people tuned in every weekday to watch that. The Queen, uh, Princess Diana, whenever they went away, they would have it recorded and they would be sent over to them so they could keep up to date with what was going on in, in Ramsey Street. Crazy, isn't it? But what a philosophical teaching. What a great song. That's when, um, what, what, was the, what were the words it said? Start singing it, Nikki, again. Everybody needs good neighbours. Just a little understanding comes to make a better day. Neighbours should be there for one another. That's when good neighbours become good friends. What a teaching. But if you've ever seen Neighbours, which many of you have, the actual intro is very different to actually what happens in the soap opera. There's affairs, there's business disputes, there's fighting pretty much every episode. That is what is going on. It doesn't quite marry up with the lovely, friendly introduction, does it? Well, we're going to be hearing from a much greater teacher than that of that introduction of neighbours. We're going to hear a parable that Jesus told, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we're blessed, aren't we? We've said this each week. We are blessed that we live after Jesus, that we've received the Spirit for those of us that know and love him, and we are able to understand what he is trying to tell us through these stories, through these parables. And so we have, let us have ears that are willing to hear, let us have eyes that are willing to see what he wants to say to us today. And so I'm just going to pray for us as we come to his word. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you that it is living and active. Thank you, thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, so much that it speaks to us every time we come to it. I do ask that in this short time that we have now together, that we would um, just be willing to hear from you and be changed by you. We pray that, that today would be something that you are working and sanctifying us in some way to change us, to make us more like Jesus. Amen. Well, if you open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37, which can be found on 1041 of the church Bibles. One thousand and forty one. Luke 
So Max is going to hand out um, a handout if you want to take notes. There's pens on your tables. Um, they'll be used. We'll be needing those a little bit later on, but feel free to be jotting down some notes if you so wish during this time. If you need a pen, grab one off another table. That's absolutely fine. So this summer, we've been taking a break from our... Well, we've just finished 1 Peter, and we are doing um, a summer series on stories that Jesus told. We've been looking at a number of parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God and what it's like. And today, we're going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, And it's a a well-known parable. We've probably all, if you've been in church for any length of time, you'll, you'll be familiar with this story. So I'm hoping that we'll just see a few things today that will be helpful for us in our journey and our walk with Christ. So, starting from um, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I mean, what we see straight away is this, this man has got um, ulterior motives, hasn't he? He's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to, trying to catch him out. And he's an expert in the law. That means he's learned in the law, in the Torah, in the five books of Moses. And what I love about this straight away, you see that there is this expert in the law trying to trick the author of the law. It's like me when I was a PE teacher trying to teach Lionel Messi the rules of football or how to play football. But then he says, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another question for saying, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus throws it back to the expert, doesn't he? He says, well, Basically, you're the expert. What is written in the law in verse 26? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus encouraged him. He says, you have have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. See, this expert in the law has got the right answer. He's nailed it. 100% word for word. Perfect. Jesus' response is, do this and live. Not know this and live. The expert in the law knew it. He knew what it was to do. Love the Lord your God and also to love your neighbours. Jesus says, put this into practice. Do this and live. This means having a deep conviction that your heart and your emotions are convicted that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is, that, um, and that, that your mind, your reason, um, your strength, all that you have indicates total devotion to him. That's what Jesus is saying to him. Be devoted to God. Do this. Love your neighbours. Jesus knows this lawyer, this expert in the law, falls short in this area. So the expert of law, what does he do? He wants to justify himself. And we see this in verse 29. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? By the way, this, this expert of the law is like, who do I have to love? Who are the ones I can leave to one side and who are the ones that I can love? Well, I completely lost my place here. Um, who are the ones that I can love? In reply, Jesus said this, and he tells him the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, I think there's a, even at this point, there's something that we can learn from this man, um, from this expert in the law, and what Jesus has said to him. I think we have to be careful that for those of us that have known and loved Jesus, and been walking with him for a long time, we have to be careful that we 
don't become like the expert in the law. That we don't know the stuff, but don't live it out. We're told to be hearers and doers of the word, aren't we? We're told to be hearers and doers of the word. But to put it another way, what the gospel says, the truth about who Jesus is, what we hear every week, what we, what we preach every week, we hope faithfully from this pulpit, it's important that we know it and we have it in our heads, but it's got to infiltrate our hearts for us to actually go and live it. What the gospel does, what the gospel says and what the gospel does has to marry up in our relationships, how we love God, but also how we love others is an example. Well, Jesus is a little bit like a politician at this moment. He doesn't answer the question that he's asked. I love this. He answers the question that he wants to answer. But more importantly, unlike a politician, he answers the question that this man needs to know the answer to. This is not who is, um, this is not who is my neighbour. This is the question about how can you be a loving neighbour? And I hope that's what we hear today and what we what we gain from this is how can I, how can we be loving neighbours? Let's see uh, the rest of this story in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be walking down the same road when he saw the man. And what does this priest do? What does this priest, who is a fellow Jew, be working, a worker at the temple, what does he do? Jesus says in this story that he purposely walks and passes him by on the other side. But didn't even go to look at him. Doesn't give him the time of day. Doesn't even check if he's okay. He just walks on by. And then we, in verse 32, we see that so too a Levite. A Levite would have been from um, a descendant, um, would also have worked at the temple, assisting the priests, the one that should have helped. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side as well. Two people that should have helped, someone from their own people group, pass him by and leave him. But in verse 33, we see a different reaction from the Samaritan. A, a Samaritan, that's an enemy of the Jews, he, as he travelled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus tells, told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So I was just in this short time, I'm just going to pick out just a few short things that we're going to hopefully have some time to discuss at some point during um, our time together this morning. So firstly, Ben, sorry, I've not got a click, if you don't mind just clicking for me. Firstly, the neighbour that we are often called to love is often not who we choose. The neighbour who we often are called to love is often not the one that we would choose. But it's the one that God would choose for. Well, as we saw, that it's culturally unthinkable for a Samaritan to actually help a Jew. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Many of you may know that there's, there was, when um, Israel, the northern kingdom, got taken off into exile into Assyria, and the two tribes kind of were assimilated into the life in Assyria, intermarried, 
And so the rest of the ten tribes of Judah would always see them as half-breeds. They hated each other. And so it was culturally unthinkable for them to actually stop and help one another. It just wouldn't happen. They were enemies. Straight away, Jesus is kind of putting an end to that. He's showing that, that to love one's neighbor involves showing care and compassion to those with whom we would not normally have any relationship with. Care and compassion to someone that we would not normally have any relationship with. I think that's really struck me this week, thinking about who, who would I not normally have relationship with in day-to-day life. There have been many times in my life that I have seen someone in need and not always helped out. Thinking of my self-preservation, what would I... What will happen to me if I go and help that person? Surely someone else will come and do it. Just think about in this community, the people that we see on the streets each and every single day. There are beggars, drug addicts, people in need, even people asking for help. Now, it's not to say that sometimes it is wise not to go towards people. And if if you feel that's not right, the Lord's put that in your heart, we don't do that. But I've been challenged by this. Who have I purposefully walked out of the way? Who have I done that to? See, for the for the Samaritan, it was inconvenient. It was time-consuming. It was delaying his work. It was expensive for him. But he still met this need. He stopped what he was doing. And I think in our society today, we can be very caught up in, I've got to get this done, I need to do this, I've got to do that. And we can forget to stop and maybe help the person in need, our neighbour. What has been beautiful to see has been the response of the Ukrainian refugee crisis, especially in this country. We see many Christians leading the way, opening their homes, having people to come and live with them. But if it's, this is true, the cost that we're willing to go to for someone we don't even know, how true is it even for the people that we do know, our immediate neighbours? our next-door neighbours, people on our streets, people at work, family members. Sometimes it's actually those people that we do know that are the most difficult to reach out and care for and to love and show compassion to. I love the concept of loving your neighbour. Isn't it a wonderful concept? Brilliant. And I think we would all amen it and say, yes, love your neighbours, love everybody. But the reality sometimes can be a little bit difficult, can't it? means opening up our home and it means having that person over that we maybe find difficult when it's someone that exasperates us we can stop showing that christ-like love to them but real love comes when we enact it real love comes when we purposefully enact it and give it to somebody and give it away when we die to self and love the sinner who has been given to us to love so i'm going to ask you a question on your it's on your sheets as well who do you pass by on the other side like the priest and the Levites? Who do you find yourself passing by on the other side like the priest or the Levites? Who, particularly outside the church family, is the neighbour that you've been called to enact love towards? It's worth thinking about, and we will spend some time in a moment, um, just in a moment, thinking about that. Because God is always wanting us to love others. It's our call. We are to love our neighbours. There's always someone that we're going to be called to go to and love may not be easy and it may not be convenient. 
But it's good to pray about it and see who the Lord's put on our heart that we can choose to love and enact that love too. But secondly, and we'll come back to this uh, question in a moment. Go back, please, mate. Anyway, second point. Find the second point, please. We are given a family that we didn't choose. We are given a family that we didn't choose. We look a bit closer to home. Who are you being called to love inside the family of God, within the church? Because the reality is we've not chosen to be in a church together necessarily. But the reality is we are given each other. and We saw in 1 Peter, didn't we, that we are to... Love the family of believers. That's our first call, to love the family of believers. Show respect to everybody, but love the family of believers. Maybe there's someone, maybe there's people in the church that you're finding hard to love at the moment. Maybe there's people you're finding it hard to enact love towards and show them that love. Maybe it's with your gospel community group, with your small groups that meet. Maybe we just don't have the same interests. We're finding it difficult to find a level with someone. But I hate to tell you this, if I'm the first one to break it to you, as lovely as you all are, and I do love you, we are not easy to love. None of us are, and I include myself in that. You can just ask Nikki. So I'm going to add a question to that, a third question. Who am I being called to love inside the family of God that may be different and harder to love? Who am I being called to love inside the family of God that may be different and harder to love? So what I'm going to say is that third question, pause on it and keep it for when you go home and have a think about it. But I think certainly the first couple of questions there, who do you pass by on the other side? Who have you found yourself finding that hard to enact love to? Who is there someone outside the church family that you feel that you're being called to love? Maybe just around tables now. Take two or three minutes now. I don't know if we can get some music on in the background. Is that possible? Um, Just have a little chat about that. If you've only got a few on your table, please move and have a larger table. We'll spend a few moments looking at this. Who do you pass by on the other side like the priest? Who outside the church family is a neighbour that you're being called to enact love towards? Share that amongst yourselves now.
Okay, I think we'll um, can try and draw those conversations to a close for now. I know it's hard. I hate interrupting. Um, but it would be really helpful. Those that are able and willing to share, feel free to share. It would be really helpful to hear what your conversations were. You may feel that you can't, and that's absolutely fine. Um, but would anybody want to share anything that they were talking about? Background music in the background. It's nice. And, isn't it to not even acknowledge acknowledging that they're there sometimes I think it's just a starting point isn't it and then having something being prepared with something if they do engage with them is, is a great way of doing stuff anyone else want to share anything from their conversation
Well, just say that every day they're kind of out just about 50 yards past the, on the high street. So we'll set up a camera to see how many Voikos actually go towards them. Is that all right? And then we'll see, see how effective this sermon is. <laughs> yes, Chris. Jehovah's Witness, yeah. Really helpful, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, I think definitely a discerning of the spirit. We, we do have to be discerning, don't we? There'll be people that just don't go to, and equally. And so, thank you for that. A- anyone else want to share before we 
final little section. Just to finish with, um, final, final point is the community that we may sometimes like and choose. Some issue for the conversation. The community we may sometimes like to and choose. So in this country, we have got many options, haven't we, of where we can worship, which church we can go to. There are many good churches in Birmingham, although I think this is um, ranked on TripAdvisor. Um, I... There are many good churches available to us. And we don't get to choose who else joins our community, do we? Our church community will take on similarities as our, similar similarities as our families. Sometimes our leaders may well disappoint you. People in the church may see things differently. may have different tastes. We may like the music to be a little bit different. Maybe have different ministry priorities. And perhaps then we can feel that maybe I need to change just to thrive somewhere else. But I think that unless our restlessness is due to a deep theological difference or ethical unfaithfulness, perhaps maybe, change is not the church community, but in our willingness to love our neighbours, the ones that God has given us. The call hasn't changed. Doing life together is going to be difficult be hard it's the closer we are together especially within our gospel community groups and if you're not in a gospel community group you'd like to be part of one um is that as families the closer you are sometimes the more uh, the more difficulties there can be the better you get to know one another you see the warts and all don't you but remember what the gospel says to love god and love others must show itself in what the gospel does how we love one another that means we need to look at the one another's. And on your, on your um, sheets, on the back of your sheets, there are a list of one another's. And, and for homework, <laughs> um, if you'd like to have some homework this week, um, for homework, um, I would love you to ask yourself the question, where, where do you see an evidence of you growing, the Lord working on you in an area of those one another's? Which one or two would you say, thank you, Lord, you've really been helping me? And maybe then equally you could pick... Lord, where are the next one or two that you really need to develop in me and help grow? Things you want to focus on. Because they're great, aren't they? Let's love one another. Let's bear with one another. Let's submit to one another. Let's look to the interests of one another. Let's teach one another. Let's comfort one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's exhort one another. Let's stir up one another. A lot of one another's aren't there to do. There's actually 59 in the New Testament, just saying. Um, but... I love this. When we look through the book of Acts, what do we see in the early church? We see Jews 
and Gentiles, those from other nations, brought together into God's family, formerly enemies, now united in Christ, rich and poor, slave and master, all in a church together. What were they disagreeing about? What to eat, how to eat, where to worship, how to worship. They had it a lot harder than we have it today. And yet, what stands out from when you read the book of Acts is the example they were to the world. How they bared with one another, how they loved one another. Now, if you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, yes, there was a lot of infighting going on. But, you know, look at this at the moment. But Paul calls them to, to love one another. We'll look at that in a minute. Just to finish with, John Piper says this. Who is my neighbour? We may not like the answer that Jesus gives. It may explode our dreams of love and community. Because instead of loving the neighbour we wanted, the soulmate we would have chosen, Jesus may point us to the needy, the different person, someone in a mess, the one that we feel like passing by and saying, oh, that's your neighbour. Perhaps he or she will be a stranger. But most likely, he or she lives in our house or on our street, or as a member of our church. The Samaritan loved the wounded Jew as himself. And Jesus says to us what he said to the, the lawyer, you go and do likewise. See, guys, the question is not, who is your neighbour? But the question is, how can I be a loving neighbour? And so just to finish with, and for discussion round tables, just for the last few minutes, is I want us to look at this um, uh, uh, passage that Paul says to the church in, in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 8, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul's writing this to a church that is fighting inwardly. And he's saying, this is how God expects you as Christians to love one another within the community. Not just about feelings, it's about putting love into action. How do we go and do likewise? Well, I suggest just for a moment, um, here we go. In um, which aspect of this definition do you struggle to enact towards your neighbour? Which aspect of this definition do you struggle to enact towards your neighbour? Where can you see evidences of God at work in you? One another's, that's your homework. Which one or two would you particularly want to pray for God to be at work in you as you seek to love others? That's your homework as well. Two and three are your homework if you fancy some homework this week. But question one, where do you, which aspect of this definition do you struggle to enact towards your neighbour? Maybe it's not self-seeking. Sometimes I can find if I don't get anything back from someone, you want to pour, you pour into someone, you try and love them, and then you get no love back. Hard to carry on loving that person, isn't it, sometimes? Which of those parts of that definition would you, do you struggle with particularly? Maybe have a little natter around your tables just to finish with our time together. And I'll pray.
draw our conversation to a close now, that's okay, but we just, if you um, would like, um, we're going to...